All right, so I'm going to read the scripture that we're going to be talking about, and then we're going to jump right into trying to, to dissect it uh, and see what it has for us this week. This is in Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, so he starts off, for this reason. And we have to answer the question, for what reason? And we find ourselves doing that a lot. Paul is a digressor. Uh, he's, he's, you can kind of see it bubbling up, up inside him. It's like a little kid trying to tell a story that they're really excited about. My, uh, my family went to the zoo this week uh, without me. And uh, the kids came home, and, and, and Emma came up, and she's like, Dad, 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 you, you, you there, was a, there was an elephant, and, and he was really big, and, and the monkey had a red butt, and then I, I don't know why, but this uh, rhinoceros kept charging at me, right? Story, 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 digression, okay? This is Paul. Paul is very much like this. He's a long-winded digressor, because there's just so much inside of him. I love that. Uh, we can see his excitement about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, about providing direction to the churches that he's planted. So we first heard for this reason at the beginning of chapter 3, when a verse in, he slides off on a tangent. It's a tangent that Dan talked about last week. He said, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. See, for this reason, I, Paul, boom, tangent. He's off on a, he's off on a streak again. If you want to know more about that mystery, go to the Path website and you listen to Dan's sermon from last week. But to know the reason that Paul's referring to once we get back uh, in Ephesians 3.14, we have to go back to Ephesians 2.22. After spending some time in chapter 2, reiterating that all believers are united as one body through the work of Jesus Christ, Paul ends that section saying, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So because we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, Paul's reaction is, I bow my knees before the Father. This is prayer. He bows. It's a posture of reverence. In response to understanding this, this revelation that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God, his reaction is to bow before the Father. And we see the same posture from Jesus praying on the Mount of Olives just prior to his death. This is in Luke twenty-two forty-one. It says, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. So this should be a good indication to not let this particular section pass us by quickly. Paul's reaction to the understanding of his own message, the only thing that he said, causes him to fall to his knees in prayer. It continues, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, biblically, to name something is an act of ownership, an act of responsibility. We see this with Adam in Genesis 2, where God gives him the responsibility of naming the creatures and the livestock. To be named by God... To bear his name is to belong to God. Uh, number 627, it says, So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Also from Paul in Romans 9, 26, it says, And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. 
So Paul here is asserting the same thing in Romans as he did in Ephesians 2 about all peoples being unified with God through the work of Christ on the cross. So because we are being built into a dwelling place for God, Paul bows in prayer for those who bear the name of God, asking for what? He asks that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Now Paul uses the word riches a lot in his letter to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians 1.7 it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Ephesians 1.18 says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Ephesians 2.4 says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. And Ephesians 2.7 says, So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards you in Jesus Christ. So finally, ladies, a man that loves you very much and is rich to boot. This is for you. And in the context of all these riches, we should be getting the impression that God's character is always reflected in abundance. He is wealthy in grace. His inheritance for us is rich and full of glory. He is overflowing in mercy. Paul is interceding for us to God, asking that we be granted strength up to the full measure of God's glory. And we should be encouraged that, God's that Paul is asking for God's intercession here to provide strength in our ability to even have faith up to that full measure of his glory. So, and through that, Paul continues. And he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul seems to be coming back to this dwelling proposition, so we're going to hang out there for a second. To dwell in this context, uh, context isn't to mean the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation. Okay? When it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, it implies not only the presence of God in your life, but make Him Himself at home within you. John the Apostle records Jesus saying this very thing in John 14. This section of John records, over a few chapters, Jesus' discussion with his disciples just prior to his arrest. He's prepping them, saying, I'm going to leave, you're going to be thrown in disarray, I'm going to try to give you an idea of what's going to happen and what it all means. Starting in verse 18 in chapter 14 of John, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Uh, Judas, not Iscariot, apparently that's a pretty particular point they want made here, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How are you going to show yourself to just us? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. And make our home within Him. God wants to make His home with you. Now thinking about that, it, it might be wise to consider where God has previously lived. Uh, his first dwelling place on earth was in the tabernacle. Uh, he, God uses varying amounts of 20 chapters in, in the book of Exodus describing how this thing is to be built. Okay, he's providing exact instructions on how to make the furniture and to build the structure. How wide, how long, how high it's going to be, what it's going to be made out of, who is going to build it, how it is to be used, to be covered in gold. Stuff has to be carried with pole because the things are so holy that they're not allowed to be touched by anyone but the priests. 
uh, the Levites, one of the tribes of Israel who was responsible uh, for the tabernacle, they had to guard the thing. They were divided into four groups and had to stay on either side of it at night or even during the day to make sure someone didn't approach the tabernacle in a way that they weren't supposed to. They would kill you before they would allow you to do that, lest you bring trouble upon the entire nation of Israel. We also see God dwelling in Solomon's temple. It took seven years and thousands of workers to build that temple. God's glory or presence remained there until it was pillaged and destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar uh, around 600 BC. He is also a permanent resident of heaven. God has had some pretty sweet digs, wouldn't you say? But he wants to live with you. He wants to make his home in you to dwell in your heart. The question for us then is, does God feel at home within us? He says, I want to make a home within you. Or do we treat him sometimes like a house guest? I'm sure I think most of us can agree or have agreed to let him in. But are we letting him in to live there? Or do we treat him like an awkward house guest? So let's kind of walk around your spiritual house for a little bit. We'll take a look at the rooms and we'll see if God can make his home within those rooms. Let's start with the front room, that, uh, the, the, the entryway. Um, we invite people in there. And, I, and we can invite God in there. We say, God, I want you to come in, come into my heart, come into my spiritual house. I'm going to invite you in. And, and it's pretty comfortable in there. We share kind words, earnest conversation, formalities. You know, we aim to be very nice, cordial. Welcome, welcome, thanks for coming in. We like him in there. We don't have to dig too deep. We don't have to reveal too much. Just have to open the door and let him in. We say what we're supposed to say and we follow the formalities. Lord, come into my life. There he is. Front room, we got that part. We're usually pretty good there. What about the living room? Do we, do we invite him outside of that front room area? Do we invite him into the living room? Do we say, Jesus, uh, have a seat, sit down, make yourself comfortable? But is, is he comfortable in there? Is he comfortable enough to put his feet on the table? Or is he concerned that maybe we'll be offended, that he's not treating our stuff, our possessions, with the proper respect? Do you let him control what's on the TV? Or do you try to uh, convince Jesus that what you're watching is the good thing and try to get him you know, caught up in that? What about the kitchen? Do you let him in the kitchen? Or maybe you think it's okay for him to kind of poke his head in while you're making dinner and take a sniff and maybe tell you everything that smells nice, uh, but you're not really any interested in the suggestions he has for dinner or what you could do to make it better. You kind of expect him to be polite, to smile warmly at whatever it is that's set, that, set down in front of him, uh, even if it's not all that great. I mean, it'd be pretty rude of him to make a suggestion, uh, tell you how you could do it better. It's, it's your food, after all, isn't it? It should suit your taste. He doesn't have any business butting in to what you have going on in the kitchen. Uh, maybe you give him a shelf. Someone's got a little masking tape says Jesus on it. He keeps old bread and wine, maybe some fish and loaves up there. But otherwise, it's not really his business to be in your kitchen. Or the bathroom. Well, of course, he can, he can use the bathroom. We Feel free to let him kind of go to the bathroom area. It should look nice in there, you know, if Jesus is going to go in. Do you make sure all the makeup is put away? Fellas, all the, all the Rogaine? You wouldn't want to give away the secret, would you? You wouldn't want him to know that it takes a lot of effort to be you. You wouldn't want to let Jesus know or think that there's a part of what you think of yourself that is derived from the success of the things that you hid in the bathroom. Do you hide all the medicine bottles in the cabinet so that Jesus doesn't know that you're sick or struggling? So that he can't infer that you're depressed, that you're anxious, that you lack energy? Maybe he leaves the bathroom and he walks by and your bedroom's right there. Is Jesus even allowed in your bedroom? Or is it weird in there? Is it weird to have Jesus in there? 
You know, maybe it's just me, but being in someone's bedroom is kind of, it's kind of weird. It's a weird feeling. Um, there's personal stuff in there. People have kind of set up their own, own little world. Um, there's a vague feeling that no matter why you're in there, people are going to assume that you're in there snooping around, looking through drawers and stuff. Uh, is Jesus comfortable in your bedroom? Or the stuff that go on in there not really his business? It's a room where you're most likely to be yourself. Is he allowed to be in there? If you're married, it's, it's where you share intimate conversation, intimate moments, moments that he designed. But is Jesus allowed in there? Or is it just a little creepy? What about your kids' room? Well, sure, that's generally no problem. Harmless Jesus loves the kids. He can go in there. He'll tell them nice stories that are a little unrealistic, but they're just kids. They won't know the difference. Maybe you hang out at the door when he's in there just to make sure he doesn't tell a story that's a little too, too graphic for their age. Uh, make sure he doesn't say anything that makes you look like a little worse parent. Or maybe you teach them a way uh, to live that might make them a little too different than the kids at school. So you hang out the door, see what he's saying. Or maybe there's no time for Jesus to stop by the kids' room. They need to go to bed directly. They got soccer in the morning. Or they got a lot of homework. Jesus will have to swing by some other time. What about that other room? Would Jesus be comfortable in there? You say, what other room? Well, I'm not sure what's in there, to be honest with you. It's generally locked. You keep it locked. You don't want other people to wander in there. You don't let your kids in there. You don't let your spouse in there. You don't let Jesus in there. It's where you keep the things that you don't want anybody else to see. Maybe your regrets are in there. Sins of your past are in there. Your addictions are in there. Jesus can't feel at home in there. Because he can't even get in. Are there parts of that tour that look like your house? Your heart? And we've done a disservice to people sometimes in Christianity. We aim for the big moment. That time where you feel convicted of sin, you're open to the truth and the reality of God, and we lead them and encourage them to repent of sin and invite Jesus into the heart. And when they do, we celebrate. We cheer them on. Congratulations. Be encouraged. And then maybe we wipe our brow and go, whew, I'm glad we got that one. And then we stalk the next unsuspecting guy who doesn't have Jesus. But God wants so much more than that. He doesn't want to just visit the front room. He wants to make your home, his home. Your heart, his heart. Have you ever heard someone, or maybe this is you, maybe you've done this, in the midst of a personal tragedy or disaster or a stressful situation, say, where is God in all of this? I'm struggling, where is God? Now, a lot of times he's standing at the front porch still, waiting to be let in at all. But even Christians will ask this question, failing to realize that they have him trapped in the living room. My marriage is failing. Where is God? You won't let him in the bedroom. He's nowhere in those heavy conversations, those intimate discussions. You don't allow him to be the leader in dire situations. You don't want him to butt in with his thoughts on serving each other, loving each other, and sacrificing for each other. Where was God? He's trapped in the living room. My kids are rebelling against me. Where is God? Are you exposing them to quality time with God? Are you prioritizing that time so you, that you don't hold other things above it? What are you most likely to miss? Church? Or soccer practice? What are you most likely to help them with? Homework or a Bible story? Where is God? He's trapped in the living room. I have this addiction that I can't shake. Where is God? 
Are you crying out to him from behind a locked door? Are there parts of that tour that look like your house? Your heart? I don't know. I'm not surprised. Neither is Paul. Paul's praying for you. Remember that this letter is to the church at Ephesus. And actually, given the, the lack of personal details, it was, it was probably intended to be passed along to many churches. Okay? People who have already let Jesus in the front room. This letter, this prayer is for you. And you think to yourself, you know, I want things to be different. I want to have his love, his words, his wisdom reverberate through the walls of my house. And I try and I try, but I can't seem to let go of control. Every time I tell him he can have the living room, he puts a picture of his dad up. I like the Jonas Brothers poster. Okay? You can't help but grabbing back at stuff that you've already ceded to him. I can't seem to make the right decision. I'm concerned about the impact of what it looks like if I let God control my marriage. I'm concerned about what changes I have to make to give God control of my kids. I'm concerned that when I open that locked room, that the world will shun me. My mistakes will be exposed to the light and ruin me. You know where you need to be, but you need help. You need strength to get there. And that is exactly what Paul was praying for. So how do you get it? We'll start with prayer. Let Paul's example be our guide here. We know what is possible and, what's, and what God's desire is, that he dwell within us. And Paul is praying that we may be strengthened through faith, that Christ may dwell in our hearts, and that we need faith to turn it all over, faith that God will do what he says he will do. Faith that, as Paul says, we will be filled with the fullness of God through prayer. Um, like the movie that we saw just before the start, there's a 24-7 prayer room coming up. This is an excellent time to orient your prayer life around spiritual strength for you, for your family, for the church that surrounds you. The other part of this, um, searching for spiritual strength, we can find through community with other believers. Paul continues, says, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When Paul talks of having the strength to comprehend with all the saints, he's talking about being strengthened by, through, and with the community of people that follow Christ around you. The breadth, length, height, and depth of his love is revealed and demonstrated through God's people. One of the accomplishments of the original tabernacle was to have a physical presence where the glory of God could reside among his people. They didn't, frankly, they didn't seem to be able to grasp the glory of a God that was above them that they couldn't see. So one of the things that the tabernacle did was brought that glory of God so they could look upon it. It was with them. It was, it was among them. Okay? In, in this way, his glory was revealed to his people. But now God is making his home within you. So that through you, his glory is revealed to all. Which means that through God's people, the riches of his glory will be revealed. And strength may be granted for us to understand the depths of his love. To so embrace the opportunities within your church community. Join a small group. Get together a life transformation group. Go to the potluck. There's a potluck coming up. Okay? Become rooted and grounded by the love of God, but also the love of the community of believers around you. Third part of spiritual strength here Paul talking about is through the Holy Spirit. Paul asks that we be strengthened 
with power through His Spirit. Let's look back at John 14. And this is just prior to the verse that we read earlier. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And Paul also says in Romans 8, uh, 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The weather's been very uh, spring-like lately. And what happens in spring? Spring cleaning, right? If you've taken from this section of Scripture, this prayer from Paul, that you need to really focus this week on cleaning up your spiritual house, I'm afraid that you've missed it completely. Don't try to make your heart livable for Jesus. Let Him come in and allow Him to make a life for you. Let Him wander the halls of your heart, filling each room with His presence. Seek help for strength to let go of yourself completely and to do His will. Prayerfully, within a community of God's people and through the power of the Holy Spirit, seek to let God fully dwell within you so that you can understand His love. Um, I'll end this week uh, with the same prayer that Paul, or the ending of the prayer that Paul prays here in Ephesians, if you would bow your head. Now to you, God, who are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to your power at work within us, to you be the glory in the church, and Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.